Well, good morning. If you would turn your Bibles to 1 John. So if you aren't familiar with your Bible, you're here to learn. 1 John is about four books from the end. 1 John, little epistle, five chapters. And we're going to read in chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, but not the whole chapter, okay? Not all of them, but some verses I'd like to read and then pray and we'll get into the word. So in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28, and now little children abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now in chapter 3 and verse 7, a very endearing letter filled with love. And John the apostle writes, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And now in chapter 5, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And finally, in chapter 5 now, in verses 14 and 15. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Let's pray. So, Lord, again, I want to ask for your anointing and blessing over the things that I've prepared. Break them fresh, I pray, and feed us. Multiply it out, Lord. We need your word. We need to hear from you. Lord, we need to be encouraged this morning. We need to be challenged and exhorted. However it is that you, whatever it is that you know about our own hearts and where we're at, Lord, you're the one that can speak individually to every person sitting or hearing this study. Your word is alive and powerful. We trust, Lord, your Holy Spirit to teach us, bring into remembrance whatsoever you've commanded us. And Lord, as we receive the word, so may we be strengthened and may we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bless, Lord, I pray the word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I've tried to weave into this study, which is knowing love and then showing love. Today is Mother's Day. Certainly, there's no greater example of showing love. Humanly speaking, I think this is the greatest demonstration that we have, the greatest example all of us have in our lives of our moms. And so we salute, salute you, salute. <laughs> we salute you, moms. If you get my weekly email, I wrote this week and talked about Kevin Durant, who received the NBA MVP award. At his presentation, he gave a very touching speech. He talked to all the different individual team members, saying something about them, but he ended talking about his mom, who was sitting right in front of him. Her tears are rolling down her face. He's all, he's all uh, choked up and crying. And he said, Mom, we weren't supposed to be here. 
because he came from a pretty tough background. She was a single mom. So Kevin said to his mom, Mom, we weren't supposed to be here. And then he said, you're the MVP. It was just a fantastic little Mother's Day video. If you don't get the email, I encourage you to go to our website and you can begin receiving them. Mark Twain said this. I think I can relate to this a little better. My mother had a great deal of trouble with me, but I think she enjoyed it. <laughs> Answers given by third grade ch school children. Why God made moms? Why did God make mothers? And then one wrote, to help us out of there when we were getting born. <laughs> How did God make mothers? Magic plus superpowers and a lot of stirring. <laughs> what ingredients are mothers made of? God made mothers out of clouds and angel hair and everything nice in the world and one dab of mean. What kind of little girl was your mom? My mom has always been mom and none of that other stuff. Another answered, I don't know because I wasn't there, but my guess would be pretty bossy. <laughs> what did mom need to know about dad before she married him? His last name. <laughs> Why did your mom marry your dad? My grandma says that mom didn't have her thinking cap on. <laughs> Who's the boss at your house? Mom doesn't want to be boss, but she has to be. She has to because God's, because uh, dad's such a goofball. <laughs> What's the difference between mom and dads? Moms know how to talk to teachers without scaring them. <laughs> what does your mom do in her spare time? Moms don't do spare time. <laughs> if you could change one thing about your mom, what would it be? She, had this, she has this weird thing about me keeping my room clean. I'd get rid of that. <laughs> and then another wrote, I would like for her to get rid of those invisible eyes on the back of her head. <laughs> you know what I think those invisible eyes are? I think they're her heart that sees all so much. So we're in the building of the church showing love. The building is a play on words, and that building is used as a verb, not a noun. As a noun, we are the church. As a verb... The building exemplifies what we are to be and do as the church. So a home is the building of edification where family members grow. We looked last week at the building of edification in knowing love. This morning, where the family members grow is in showing love. My mother taught me consideration for others. She would say to me, I just scrubbed that floor go outside and bleed in the entry. I thought that was good. Maybe you'd have to read it. Okay. Here's what comes to mind for me in showing love. It is not knowledge that I lack. In fact, I can't tell you how many times I feel like I have too much knowledge and it bears on me. It weighs me down because I feel guilty knowing what I should be doing and then what I don't do. So it's not for lack of knowledge. It's not for lack of motivation. As a child of God, he has given to me his heart, his spirit, and so I desire to please him. I desire to be like him. I desire to be showing love, living in love and purity. And it's certainly not for lack of opportunity. In fact, there are always opportunities to show love. But I'm like the disciples. Lord, would you send them away? I don't want to do that right now. You know, when I honestly consider the circle of love, which we'll put up on the board, here it is, 1 John. To know God is to keep his commandments. To keep his commandments is to have God's love perfected in us. To have God's love perfected in us is to abide in him. To abide in him is to walk as he walked. To walk as he walked is to love our brothers and sisters. And to love our brothers and sisters is to know God. And to know God is to keep his commandments. We start at the top of the circle. You know what I find? I hardly ever make it out of the first circle. To know God is to keep his commandments. But to keep his commandments is to have his love perfected in me. Do you find the same thing true of your life? Being perfected in love 
is in knowing God by keeping his commandments. By keeping his commandments and being perfected in love, I begin to abide in him. That's what Jesus said, and that's what John tells us. Abide in him. Let his love abide in you. To abide in him, then, is to walk as he walked, in that I'm walking with him through life. And then to walk as he walked is to love my brothers. And as I show that love, as I love my brothers, I know God. And as I know God, and so around it goes. Do you find the same problem in your life in showing love? Hardly getting out of the first circle. Well, God has some very good news for us this morning. It's just this. Paul wrote to the Philippians his letter of joy and said this, being confident of this, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, he says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In other words, God is at work in our lives to bring about his love and fruit, the fruit of the spirit of love from our lives. God began a work in you. He continues a work in you, and he will complete that work in you. In Hebrews, as the writer to the Hebrews is closing out the book, in Hebrews 13, 20, he says this, almost a prayer. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, Listen, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. It's God who's working in us through Jesus Christ to work in us what's well-pleasing in his sight, to be doing his will. Listen to what Solomon said to the nation Israel at the dedication of the temple. In 1 Kings 8, verse 57, it's almost a prayer also, though he's blessing the people. He said, may the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us nor forsake us that he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, which he commanded our fathers. Solomon says that he may incline our hearts, may he never leave us or forsake us, that his presence may incline our hearts to keep his commandments. You know what an incline is, right? It's a slope. It's a slant. An inclination is a persuasion. It's a predisposition. It's a bias that we have. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I'll tell you, my greatest trouble is showing love. One of the greatest, greatest challenges in the life of the believer is to love not only our brothers but our enemies, and that's what we're called to do. God is a very present help at all times to incline our hearts to work in us, to work through us, that we might be doing what pleases him. And so I can't help but again read Romans chapter 8, where Paul writes, likewise the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I find myself at times groaning, wanting to see my life further transformed into walking as he walked, abiding in him. So God's given to us of his Spirit and the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he, God, who searches the what? Heart, knows what the mind of the Spirit is 
because he makes intercession for the saints, listen, according to the will of God. I love that. Why? Because it tells me when I'm groaning and I don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit is interceding for me according to the will of God. We read in 1 first, in first John, if we pray according to the will of God, we know he hears us. And if he hears us, we have the petitions we've asked him. So what I'd say to you is, as I say to me, groan on, baby. Groan on. Allow the Holy Spirit in our lives, the presence of God, to incline our hearts to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, to him who will complete the work he began in us, to him who is faithful in whom we put put our very lives in his hands, he will keep us and watch over us and yes, transform us in the image of Jesus Christ. So Paul goes on to say, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined, what? To be conformed to the image of his son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. We're following in the steps of our Savior Jesus. We're becoming more and more like him. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Past tense, God already sees you and me glorified, completed, done. What then shall we say to these things? Can I hear that again? Praise the Lord. What shall we say to these things? I, I say, you know, it's almost like how can you lose? We're, we're declared to be children of God, loved by him. It has not yet appeared what we shall be, but we know now we're the children of God. Oh, what a blessing, beloved, lavished on us is his love. Be given the Holy Spirit a new life who's working in us to will and do what pleases God, who's interceding for us according to the will of God. How can we lose? What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who's going to stop God? Well, I'll tell you what. I've no doubt frustrated the Holy Spirit at times. I've no doubt held up the process at times. But what I have to come back to is the fact that God is at work in me. I'm not a completed, done thing yet. God's working. And he's working out his will and his pleasure in my life. He who did not spare his own son. Remember last week we talked about the foundation of us knowing love and showing love is the cross of Jesus Christ where God demonstrated his love, his commitment, his faithfulness to you and to me in our wickedness and sinfulness and enemies of, of him. That's when he sent Christ to die for us. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? What do you need this morning? What is it that you're groaning about? How shall he not with him freely give us all things? It's like, you know, when you buy a gold ring that comes in the box. Do you think that box is worth a whole lot compared to the ring? God gave us Jesus Christ. How much more shall he not with him freely give us all things? What do you need today? What is it that you're battling today in your own life? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? <laughs> it's God who justifies. He's not accusing me. He's not charging me. He died for me. He's saying, he's mine. Leave him alone. <laughs> Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God making intercession for us. So not only do we have the Holy Spirit interceding for us, we have Jesus, our great high priest, interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. How can we lose? How can we despair for very long, be discouraged for very long? If it's God who's given all this through Jesus Christ, here's the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, you know, I like that word tribulate, <laughs> it just has tribulation. How about distress? How about persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? 
Can they separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. We are those who are killed all day long. So Paul in writing to the Romans isn't saying it's not, it's this piece of cake. Hey, God loves me and so here I go. He's saying, no, no, no. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Or tribulation or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril? And then he says this, as is written, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. That's, that's, I get that. That's, I understand that as a believer. But then he said, yet in all these things, not just conquerors, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And then he said this, I am persuaded. Now, 10 times he says, nor, 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 nor. He's knocking on the nor of our hearts. <laughs> he says, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is where? In Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Can you hear a hallelujah? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we're talking about showing love. I can tell you very honestly and very candidly, I don't do well in and of myself in doing that. I get in the way of showing love. God's love for me, though, is immeasurable, it's unmovable, and it's insurmountable. I may try and get away from it. I love last night. As, uh, what's his name? Clint, yeah, I was going to say Claire, and I knew it wasn't Claire. Clint Gresham. He talked about his own testimony and coming to a place where he realized God loved him just as he is. His identity was not in being a football player. It wasn't in being the, the right weight or anything. He realized in Christ, he is accepted and secure. God's love for you is immeasurable. It's unmovable and it's insurmountable. You can't get around it. You can't get over it. But I encourage you, get under it. Let it bathe your heart, your mind, your troubles, your griefs, your sorrows, your distress. Let it bathe your heart that God is for you, not against you. Try as you might, you can't change the unchangeable love of God. To know God is to know love. To know love is to show love. And to show love is to grow in love with not only others, but Jesus himself. There's one simple question that I'd like to put over our whole study this morning. I think that God asks us this time and time again. Are you just willing? Are you willing to show love? You see, when I'm not willing, I can ask God to work in me what is willing to work in my life and change those things. And so the question is, am I just willing with God for me, the Holy Spirit in me, Jesus interceding for me, am I willing? I think of the father we heard on this, at the men's retreat. Pastor Chuck said, you know, he thinks one of the most humblest statements made in the Bible is when, the, when that father went to Jesus and said, you know, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know, I love, but help my unlovingness. Listen to what Isaiah said as God was giving to Israel the cure for their spiritual sickness. In Isaiah 118, he said, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as wool or white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be wool. And then he says this, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. God was saying, come, let's talk about it. Come, let's reason, because I will cleanse and wash and forgive. If you're just willing and obedient, you'll watch what I can do in transforming the very direction that your heart is going. And indeed he does. The Bible is filled with stories of God working to will and to do his good pleasure. Abraham, Moses, David, Solomon, Naomi, Samuel, Elijah. I think of Jonah. Now, hopefully it doesn't have to take a, 
a whale of a tail to get us going in the right direction. I think of the disciples, Peter, Paul, and yes, Mary. Now, there are tragic stories in the Bible of those who were not willing. They were not willing. And so are you just willing? I see willingness as the word that we read today, practice. Are you willing to practice? Something I will only learn about as I go about seeking to put it into action. Practice. Second Corinthians 8, Paul said, For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has. God knows where I'm at. God knows the condition of my heart. I'm not hiding from him. So am I just willing right where I'm at? God, take me and change me. Now, where family members grow, showing love. I'm going to give you three thoughts this morning that are a part, I think, of probably a lot more in showing love that we pull out from 1 John. The first one is showing love by practicing righteousness. Practicing righteousness. Look at verse 28. Now, little children, abide in him that when he, uh, excuse me, 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know, now, there's different Greek words that are used here for the word know. The word in verse 29, the first one, if you know, that means absolutely. Settled fact. If you know that he is righteous, you know, different word, you know by experience that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So when I'm born again, something changes and I want to be living differently. I want to be practicing righteousness. You see, a person's righteousness is the evidence of a new birth. It is righteousness, not knowledge, that is the principal mark of that person who has received new life. To be righteous, it's really two things. It's to have the character that leads one to will to do that which is right. So from a new nature comes then the obedience of doing what is right. So there's a double element to righteousness here. On the one hand, there is the will to do right. That's character. That's the new nature. On the other hand, it is determining in a particular circumstance just what the right is and then being willing to do it, conduct. That's what we've been given by being born again, the Holy Spirit and the word of God to begin to instruct us on what it means to show love, to be loving. Aristotle said this, quote, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. We are what we repeatedly do. They say that practice makes perfect. The reality is that practice, practice, practice makes perfect. It doesn't just one practice session, it's ongoing in learning what it means to love and show love. How do you think that Clint Gresham made the Seahawks team? Practice, practice, practice. How do you think that Kevin Durant got the MVP trophy? Practice, practice, practice. In fact, Kelly last night was asking Clint up on stage, you know, how much do you practice? It's continuous. It's keeping the skill honed. It's continuing to be better and better. When Pablo Casals reached 95, a young reporter threw him a question. Mr. Casals, you are 95 and the greatest cellist that ever lived. Why do you still practice six hours a day? Mr. Casals answered, because I think I'm making progress. <laughs> Is that not true of knowing and showing love? So deep the Father's love, so wide and high. Paul prayed for the Ephesians, may know the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Showing love by practicing righteousness. Now, in verses 4 through 10 of chapter 3, each begins with a statement of the seriousness of sin. 
John tells us its nature, which is lawlessness. The nature of sin is it is against law. It wants nothing to do with the law of love, which is what God's law is. It tells of the seriousness of the origin of sin. The origin of sin is Satan. He is the father of lies. Satan came to Eve in the garden and tempted her to sin. So it's serious stuff in its nature and its origin. Each then continues with a reference to Jesus' coming. He came to take away sin. Why? Because it destroyed a relationship with God. He came to destroy the devil's work, which is to keep us from God. So the argument is theologically based in Christ's atoning work for you and for me. His nature is without sin and his mission was against sin. He conquered sin, death, and hell once for all to care the problem. So each concludes then with a moral deduction. The impossibility and the incompatibility of, listen, habitual sinful living. Our theology, our doctrine, makes habitual sin incompatible with what we believe. Our experience, the new birth, makes habitual sin impossible for our behavior. So what we believe and what's in our hearts to do in behaving is contrary to sin. So all through this passage, John is talking about, now this is really important to understand as you're reading these passages in 1 John, because they could get you going. If he sins, he's of the devil. Oh my goodness. Listen. All through this passage, John is talking about continual, habitual sin, a lifestyle of sinning, living a life characterized by sin. Do you struggle with sin? If you say no, then as John said, you're a liar. Love will practice righteousness. Habitual, continual sin is impossible for the new nature. Habitual, continual sin is impossible, incompatible with our new birth. And if you struggle with sin, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You sin, you do things, and you go, I hate that about myself. In fact, Paul himself said, I hate what I'm doing. It's like the prodigal son. Only pigs live in the pig, pig pens, don't they? Well, somebody will say, but the son got into the pig pen. Oh, yes, he got into it, but he got out of it. The child of God can get into it. We will get into it, but we will also get out of it. Why? Because we are sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. You know, there's probably one thing that crosses my mind as far as my own returning from my rebellious years to God. It's the prodigal son story. What crosses my mind often is even when I came back to Christ in Costa Mesa in 1976, I'm sitting in that bleacher going, where have I been? And the prodigal son comes across my mind often, my heart, there he was waiting, waiting, waiting. And when he saw me coming, he didn't wait anymore. He came and greeted me as his son, prodigal though I was. His father is righteous, and so the son wants to live righteously. The reason he cannot stay in the pig pen is because he's not a pig. He's a son. Now, my mother taught me about anticipation. Just wait till your father gets home. <laughs> my mother taught me about receiving. You're going to get it when we get home. <laughs> And I think often our human fathers and human relationships get in the way of understanding God's heart for us in all our waywardness. Are you miserable in your sin? Good. That tells me that God is waiting for you. Jesus came to deliver you from the power 
of sin through his forgiveness. He came to destroy the works, loosen the chains that Satan has on you through sin, through fear. You see, there are two families. There's God's family and there's a devil's family. Jesus pointed out to the Pharisees. He said, if God were your father, you would love me for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. Now, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. What is he saying to these religious leaders? You're your father, the devil. The source of your life is not from God. It's from the enemy. You're seeking to murder me and kill me. That's not God's heart. You see, to sin is human, but to persist in sin is devilish. If the devil is our father, we will take after him. If the heavenly father is our father, we will take after him. His seed remains in us and we cannot continue to sin. We've been born again. We have a new life, a new nature, a new character, a new desire to be pleasing to our heavenly father. My mother also taught me about genetics. You're just like your father. My mother talked to me about my roots. Do you think you were born in a barn? (laughs) And my all-time favorite thing, my mother taught me about justice. One day you will have kids, and I hope they turn out just like you. (laughs) Then you'll see what it's like. You know, we're told not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 6, 14, why? Why? Because if, for example, you marry an unbeliever, you're going to have trouble with your father-in-law. You see, an unbeliever has no roots, no source, no new nature that comes from God through repentance and faith and being saved. The Christian supernatural birth from God keeps him in a place of coming to God and there receiving his power to change the life. There's a book called Sacred Marriage written by Gary Thomas. I want to read a little bit of it. He asked the question, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than make us happy? He writes, sadly, I spent the first few years of my marriage adding up the pluses and minuses of my wife's personality traits. The problem was simple. I was spending too much time on my pluses and my wife's minuses. Then I read a passage by John Owen, one of the greatest Puritan scholars ever, quote, He says, he writes, the person who understands the evil in his own heart is the only person who is useful, fruitful, and solid in his beliefs and obedience. Others only delude themselves and thus upset families, churches, and all other relationships. In their self-pride and judgment of others, they show great inconsistency, unquote. Gary goes on to write, I realized that I was being deluded by my sense of self-righteousness. Instead of focusing on what Lisa could improve, I should have been on my knees begging God to change me. This thought was magnified one morning when I awoke and started praying through Scripture. All of a sudden, a question startled me. Does Lisa feel like she's married to Jesus? I almost laughed out loud, he writes, until I was shaken by another thought. I am told over and over in Scripture that my duty as a Christian is to become more and more like Jesus. Over time, my wife should start to feel like there's at least a family resemblance. God help us. Billy Sunday wrote this. He is the baseball evangelist reformer. He never spared himself nor those he wanted to help in the vigor of his attacks on sin. He thundered against evil from the gay 90s through the Great Depression. He preached Christ as the only answer to man's need until his death in 1935. Now, here's what he said. I'm against sin. I'll kick it as long as I've got a foot, and I'll fight it as long as I've got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I've got a head. I'll bite it as long as I've got a tooth. When I'm old and fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum it till I go home to glory and it goes home to perdition. Can I hear an amen? (laughs) Practice, practice, practice. Fighting against these things of the flesh. The good news, God is working in you. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let the spirit of God lead your new nature in practicing righteousness. Practice, practice, practice. 
Let your new nature lead you in the understanding that that is from God. That is your heritage. That is your roots. Those, that is your source. And practice, practice, practice. I am not even beginning to suggest a self-righteousness. I am suggesting to you a practical righteousness that comes from the righteousness imputed to us in our new nature as children of God. From that, we begin now to endeavor to keep his commandments, to walk in his ways. So first, showing love by practicing righteousness. The second we'll spend a little bit of time on, but not much. Notice what he says in 1 John 3.16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Secondly, providing readily. You know what I find in my own life? I find that there's a moment when I see a need and it really is critical as to whether I will act as the Holy Spirit will lead me to do, take care of the need. Do you find that? You see it and all of a sudden you start with the, all the rationale of why you aren't the one that God would have to do that. I think more often than not, I am excusing myself from what God is wanting to give to me as a means of showing love. Growing in love. Paul wrote to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gave us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, laying up for themselves treasures in heaven, as Jesus said. So Paul said, command those who are rich in this present age. I think most of us in this room are rich materially. And yet how stingy I can be. It's as though God has to pry my hands off of things to help someone else. You see, true love is not manifested in our thoughts, however beautiful they are. It's not in what we feel, however strongly. It's not in words, however sweet, but in our deeds, in practical, genuine, self-sacrificing activities. So providing readily, an open hand, an open heart. I thought of what Jesus said when the man asked, who is my neighbor? And he said, a certain man in Luke chapter 10 went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road and listen, when he saw him, Notice what it says there. He sees his brother in need and shuts up his what? Heart. Here's the priest, the religious guy, sees the guy on the side of the road, beaten. He saw him. He passed by on the other side. Then Jesus said, likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked, took a little bit of time to look, and he himself passed by on the other side. You see, now, the thing that strikes me about this is, when I excuse myself, I think that I have the other side. Here's the other side of it by which I rationalize. But God's brought into my, right, in, right there on my path, someone who needs help. But I said, well, I got another side to that, God. Here's my side. And God said, no, no, provide readily. Be willing. Here's the thing of a neighbor. And so then he said, but a certain Samaritan. Now, Jesus loved to put in the knife and turn it a little bit. There's the chief priest, there's the Levite. But then came a Samaritan, and the Jews did not like Samaritans. As he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. You see, it tells us in 1 John, he shuts up his heart. See, what? From having compassion. Being to provide readily. Here's a need. And my heart, I, just shut, I can shut it off so easily with my side of the story. My side of the path that I walk. And so this man went to him, bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. Whatever more you spend when I come again, I'll, I will repay you. So Jesus asked this guy, so which do you think was his neighbor? <laughs> 
Isn't Jesus just perfectly right there on the nail? Well, who do you think was his neighbor? He said, he who showed mercy on him. And he said, go and do likewise. See, it's a thing of mercy and compassion. Mother's Day. A mother found under her place one morning at breakfast a bill made out by her small son, Bradley, aged eight. Mother owes Bradley for running errands, 25 cents. For being good, 10 cents. For taking music lessons, 15 cents. And for extras, five cents. Total, 55 cents. Mother smiled but made no comment. At lunch, Bradley found the bill under his plate with 55 cents and another piece of neatly folded like the first. Open it, he read, Bradley owes mother for nursing him through scarlet fever. Nothing. <laughs> for being good to him. Nothing. For clothes, shoes, and playthings. Nothing. For his playroom. Nothing. For his meal. Nothing. Total nothing. Wow. Is that not the father heart of God to us? Nothing. The final thought in showing love is showing love by praying regularly. He says, this is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we've asked of him. A little girl was upstairs ready to say her nighttime prayers when she appeared at the top of the stairs and said, I'm ready to pray. Anything anybody wants? <laughs> you see, God has some very good things in mind that he wants to give to us. He'll work in us to will and to do of what pleases him. You see, when we practice praying regularly... God is answering those desires of our hearts to show love. So when I come to him and say, Lord, I need to learn how to be loving to this person or how to show, and God says, okay, are you just willing? Are you just willing? Will you practice a little bit? Maybe go do that thing that you thought, go do it. Will you practice maybe giving something to someone who's in need? as it comes across your path? Will you practice continuing to pray and pray and pray? Because you see, in my groanings, the Holy Spirit is making intercession for me according to the will of God. When I come to the throne of grace, Jesus, my great high priest, is there interceding for me. How are you doing praying? You know, it is such a powerful discipline that God has given to us to practice. They said to Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. You know what Jesus said? Oh, when you pray. In other words, if we're going to learn to pray, we better start practicing it. We better start going into our closet where Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They like to be seen. Oh, wonderful. Oh, God. Don't be like the hypocrites who love to get all the applause. But you, when you pray, go into your room and listen, shut the door. And pray to your father in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I believe the rewards of a regular prayer life are God's love becoming more and more manifested in us and then through us. Finally, to you moms. Abraham Lincoln said this, quote, I remember my mother's prayers and they have always followed me. They have clung to me all my life, unquote. I asked my mom, she is now with the Lord as is my dad. And I was a, I was a pretty naughty boy <laughs> in my teenage years. But my mom and dad never kicked me out of the house. And I, I couldn't understand that in coming back to Christ several years after I was walking with the Lord. I said, mom, you know, I would, if, if that was me, me would have been out on my ear. And she said to me, I knew that you wouldn't listen. I wanted to know where you are, so I just prayed for you. I read a thing on Facebook that I would echo that Karen Moore posted. Many of you know Karen Moore. 
this morning. Quote, this is such a fantastic quote. She said, so grateful to my mom, capital M, who gave me the greatest gift and the greatest, the best legacy. That is to know and follow Jesus Christ. There is no greater gift a mom could give her children. So grateful I'll spend eternity with you, mom. I love you. If there's one prayer of our hearts, is it not that our children would walk in truth? Moms and dads, brothers and sisters, may we give ourselves to praying regularly. The enemy would like to rob us of those times with our heavenly father where he can speak into our lives and change and answer our prayers. May he help us, amen. And you moms, we salute you because we know you are praying people. You are praying moms. Keep it up. We need it. (laughs) I'm gonna ask you just to stay seated as we close in a song. I noticed last, uh, this week on Wednesday night that as the, Joe shared a message on Wednesday night and then just gave some people, gave people some time just to respond. I thought, you know, I think we need that a little more in our speaking of prayer. Just that we can take a little time just to respond to the Lord as we heard his word. And this morning, I think there's a place that this has in our service. Because I am sure that all of us, in one degree or another, are saying, God, make me willing. Lord, help me to be, give a a generous person, a caring person, practicing righteousness, praying. So rather than standing, which I know what it's like to stand, let's just take a song here and maybe two even and just if you you would like, if you feel like coming forward, be helpful, just come and kneel and we'll just take a song here just to sing and pray and, and then I'll close us in prayer. My heart is...